Disclaimer. In this podcast, we discuss sexual themes in relation to cartoons. We are not here to explicitly sexualize the cartoons, but to talk about how exposure to these ideas in our youth evolved into the fetishes we have today. It's Saturday morning. You're flicking through the channels. Channels of not only superheroes and cartoon rabbits, but of ideas. The boundaries. Your imagination. The cost. Your therapy bill. Welcome to Fetish Fuel. You're getting this transplant just in time. This is genuine human hair. This is legal, right? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Episode 3, Hair. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fetish Fuel. I am Silver, I am your host, and this week we are going to be talking about the very niche topic of hair with my co-host this week, Dart. Please introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Silver. So um, you actually approached me about being on the show because you have such a niche interest. Well, one of the reasons I've been following you and admiring you for so long, Silver, is that you, um, your art um, just really like brings everyone's very unique niche fetishes to um, another level. And you've done that with me with my strongman fetish. And there is something very... Uh, validating and, and honoring to have an artist, you know, create art kinks that are really, really unique. And so I just thought it would be a really, really fun fit. So thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, particularly in my work, when I first died all this and I entered the world of kink myself, I was, I saw so much rubber and leather content out there already. And I was just very much like, I don't need to add to the pile of this content with more sex content. There's definitely something I can do which is more me, and that's mm-hmm. how I ended up going down the path of all these niche kinks. So let's start off this with talking about who you are. Um, so I go by Master Dart. I've been, uh, I've been involved in Leather and Kink for probably going on about 30 years now. So I'm 53 years old. I started actively playing in this stuff when I was 23. And um, I am a switch. Um, I like to dominate and also submit. Um, a great deal of my early uh, experience, um, which, by the way, my, my, my primary fetish that I really enjoy is bondage. So some of my initial uh, experiences as a bondage bottom came from doing bondage porn. Um, well, was, we've spoken about this before because you've shown me photos of you in the now defunct magazine, but very important magazine, Bound and Gagged. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I think I appeared in about maybe nine issues of Bound and Gag magazine, um, one of which you have recreated with your art. Um, I've also I've, I've posed for the Mr. S catalog back when it would, was actually a physical catalog made out of paper, and um, I've done a few bondage porn videos back on a VHS cassettes. Um, Ooh, how but, vintage. Uh, yeah, well, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> But that was where a lot of my initial experience came from. And it was kind of from there that, that I got connected with people and I got play experience and I and I learned more about the leather community and the kink scene and, and um, it was anything but an orthodox kind of a path. You know, it wasn't until I started going to events and, and meeting other people that I started to realize that there was all these traditions and whatnot behind, uh, behind leather and kink. But... Um, it all just kind of evolved in and of itself, and and I started to get in, I started to get invited to 
teach bondage at events and at bar nights and and then um and then it just kind of expanded and um i had my own podcast for a little while too it was called darts domain where i got to interview all kinds of really really fun kinky guests and now i'm very very active on twitter you know doing various play scenes in our playroom with uh, my husband and have a huge following doing that so it all just kind of keeps growing growing and growing and growing and we keep playing we love it (laughs) Um, well, obviously, as you were getting involved in this in the 90s, and this was before the huge boom of the internet, I am interested to hear, how did you get into the bondage community then? Well, you have to understand, so we didn't really have the prevalence of the internet. And then there was a, one other thing that we were dealing with, which was AIDS, uh, because AIDS was really quite um, a devastating plague back then. Uh, it wasn't under the amount of control that it is now. So... It was very, very hard to hook up with like-minded people, and it was also very dangerous. And we were sort of limited in how we could meet other people that, first of all, we felt safe just being physical with, you know, and then feeling safe allowing that person to tie you up. So doing the, the, doing the pornography, I thought, well, okay, at least this is through a production company. I'm, I'm thinking they're probably very legit and it's all going to be on camera. So if something is done to me, there's, you know, there's footage that they could give to the cops. Yeah, so it was just there that I got the experience. And then people would contact me because they had seen me uh, in the magazine or they had seen me in a video. And then at a bar night or a leather contest, then we would actually meet up and then I would play with them. And that was kind of, it was sort of this underground entrance into this bondage world. And then I started to meet some really, really um, amazing bondage players and teachers. And I eventually met Midori, who taught me a lot about you know, Japanese rope bondage. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just kind of expanded from there. But Do you remember what your first bondage experience was? Or like the first like bondage moment that you really keep in your memory are we talking um a bondage experience that was not meant to be a bondage experience or one where i was actively saying okay i'm going to get together with this guy and get tied up um take your pick between them this show is all about fetish fuel and these first starting moments so whichever one of those you think is more important well because as a little kid i always wanted to be robin when we were playing batman and robin and so i was getting tied up all the time um but I have to say, the first time I, I actively got together with a guy and said I wanted to try this, I, I remember we we met at a party. I was living in Los Angeles. We were both in uh, college, and this guy and I just kind of hit it off, and and we were both fairly new out of the closet. This is before I did any of the bondage stuff, any any of the bondage movies or or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, was just starting to explore my sexuality, but he and I uh, we really really hit it off, and we made a date and this and that. And then when we started playing sexually, I told him, I said, you know, I'd really like to try this. Um, I'd really, really like love if you took some of your neckties and you tied me to the bed. And he's Ooh, like, I like oh, it. I like it. Scout using what you got around. Exactly. And I remember him saying, God, you're a little kinky fucker, aren't you? And I said, yeah, but then if I'm tied spread eagle, you can like jack me off and I can't do anything about it. And... Um, yeah, and so we actually played, and then I'll I'll tell you it's gonna it's really funny, Silver. So the the point where I went too far with the request was when I asked him to tape my mouth. That was too weird for him. That's when he had to call the scene and say, "Okay, yeah, this is getting a little too freaky." You know, perfectly okay tying me up and all that, but once we want a duct tape involved, now I crossed a line. That is so interesting to me. Obviously, 
we're so deep into this fetish now that our ideas of what kinky and what is basic are very yeah. warped at this point so for yes. that to be the line there is so unusual to me yeah exactly so and we never we never played again after that but but that was one of my earliest memories because uh, it was so much fun well that is lovely thank you so much for sharing that with me absolutely absolutely but as much as you are a bondage freak that's not why you're on the show, is it? No, I'm on it for a much freakier, freakier reason. <laughs> I have this very, very odd kink uh, where I'm into um, forced haircuts and I'm into beards and mustaches and fake beards and mustaches in particular. And anybody who follows my Twitter, um, there was a, now I have a real beard now, but there was a period where I was wearing a fake beard um, when I would you know, play with others. And I was very open about it. You know, I just, I mean, I was, it wasn't something I was trying to conceal. Uh, it was just something that made me more aroused. And occasionally I would have boys in the playroom too, and I would, I would beard them or mustache them as well. Yes. Uh, and then I also occasionally do like a, like a forced haircut or a forced head shave, um, something on that line. I've seen many people who are turned on by forced haircuts, obviously in the fetish world. There are... <laughs> two hairstyles that people go for you either get shaved bald mm -hmm. or you go with fetish haircut number one which is the mohawk so yes. for you to have the fetish for specifically gluing hair on is what's unusual here yes absolutely and i can honestly say i mean i have had this kink uh all my life i have you know we we, we talk about cartoons and and early television shows um on fetish rule this is i, I that's where my earliest memories are of, as a child, of being aroused by this. Well, when I do these episodes, I always try and do some research into finding as many references to the topic as I can. And I really struggled with this one because I didn't really know what to call it. I, uh, I yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a name for it as either. either. Um, so I made a list of references to different things. One of the big ones would be in spy stuff where someone would put on a disguise and it would be the glasses with the mustache attached. Yes. That's yeah. one of the visuals that really came to my head is just like fake mustaches. Right, right. But where could you, where do you think this came from then? Uh, I have a couple of childhood memories where that I remember was the, the first time I felt this. Um, the, f the, the earliest depiction I saw uh, was actually a, a Halloween special cartoon. And I don't even remember, uh, you know, what the production company made for it. But I remember watching this as a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And the, the premise of the story was um, there was an evil sorcerer of some kind who um, uh, at Halloween time needed to get a hold of some sort of a magic pumpkin or whatever. And he enlisted the help of these kids to get this magic pumpkin. And, and he coerced them by saying, if you get this pumpkin for me, I will turn you into your favorite Halloween characters for trick or treat. Uh -huh. And so they, so they all agree to it. And then once they give him the pumpkin, he's able to wreak havoc on the world and, and you know, take over the universe and blah, blah, blah. He reveals to them that, um, oh, by the way, um, you're stuck like that and I, won't, and I will not be turning you back. And in this group of children, there was a young, there was a little boy uh, who wanted to be a pirate. So he was turned into this little pirate with this gigantic beard and mustache. 
and an eye patch and this and that. And that's how he was going to be stuck. And uh, I remember there's one scene where, where uh, he's realizing he's stuck as a pirate and he can't take the eye patch off and he's crying because he says, now I have to go to school with a big beard and mustache. I can't. <laughs> and I remember it aroused me as a little boy. And I wanted that done to me. I just thought that was really, really like there was something about the, the control and the humiliation and the, the forced masculinization. And um, I don't know, there was just something about it that did something to me. Well, Jeep, as that sounds astonishing. And I'm just hearing about that. I can absolutely see how that would have left a lasting effect. Yeah. Uh, the other earliest memory I have, uh, so we have a, we had a, a television show for, that ran for decades here in the United States. Um, it was a children's educational show, kind of like Sesame Street. It wasn't actually a cartoon. It was live action. Um, and it was called The Electric Company. I've never heard of this. Okay. It was on, uh, it was, it's on public television. Um, and um, it, it was live actors teaching children about grammar and, and uh, punctuation and, and the like. And um, they, would, they would do these different sketches to illustrate um, whatever they were teaching the kids. And there was one sketch where one of the actors was playing. It, was, it took place in a gigantic toy store. And one of the actors was a toy in a box. And he had a big wind-up key in his back. And the other actor played the, the store owner. And he pulls the live toy out of the box. Oh, well, we're getting into a whole other fetish here. Oh, yeah, but stay with me. <laughs> stay with me, stay with me, because we do, we, do have, we do have intersectionality with all this stuff. And he informs the toy, says, well, I've got a customer who uh, wants, uh, wants to buy you, but he wants a cowboy. And um, the toy says, but I'm not a cowboy. And he says, yes, but I own you, and I'm selling you. Oh, and I I'm see gonna, where this is going. Oh. And I'm going to turn you into a cowboy. And he's like, I don't know if I want to be. He's like, you're going to become a cowboy. And then he proceeds to, like, he puts a hat on the toy. And then he takes out a big cowboy mustache and he sticks it on uh, the toy's face. And the toy sort of pleads like, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I... And I remember getting my very first heart on at four years old. I distinctly remember the effect that it had on me. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I thought to myself, I thought, you know... It's going to be funny because at some point I'm going to do this to a, a boy. I'm going to, I'm actually going to do the whole scenario on my Twitter feed where I'm going to turn him into a toy with a little wind-up key and I'm going to make him into a cowboy as he's pleading for me not to. And there's going to be someone on Twitter saying, I remember watching this on the electric company back in the 70s. <laughs> it just uh, bastardize a, child, a children's program. Well, that's what we do here on I this do. podcast. Yeah. But, you know, it's just funny because those are the, like I said, it is such a specific niche, but I really, really remember uh, feeling something. But I remember as a little kid, I also used to, like, take markers and draw mustaches on myself. And, um, or I would, I had, like, a little art book that I kept under my bed, you know, where I would depict um, a young, clean-cut guy being held hostage and then kind of this forced masculinization kind of thing done to him where he was forcibly given a beard that he couldn't take off uh, while he was locked up in shackles. I just, yeah, for years I, I thrived on this. It's such a fascinating kink you have with it. And right now we are living very much in the age of the twink. I mean, when I was 21, um, I was a very, very thin, uh, slender young man. And uh, so I, I guess I would fit the, the description of... Uh, 
of a twink. Um, but anyway, I, I uh, was the body type that, that fit that bill, and I couldn't grow any facial hair to save my life. I mean, I didn't start growing facial hair until I was in my 30s. And what I was telling someone in, in a recent discussion is back in the, in the late 80s, you weren't necessarily desired um, as a gay man if you were slender and thin like that because that reminded people of the, the, the ones that were sick with AIDS. Like, you looked malnourished, people thought you might be sick. So it was a very big thing to have muscles and, mm-hmm. you know, to look more athletic. But I remember, I mean, back then, I really, I wanted a dom to kidnap me and make me into a man. You know, I wanted to be turned into a leather man with the, the stereotypical um, Tom of Finland look. Well, absolutely. Whenever I think of Tom's work, they always have really thick mustaches. I don't know if he personally invented the porn mustache, mm-hmm. but that's definitely where I most associate it with. Yeah, yeah. And I was very closeted about this for a really long time. In fact, I was I was actively involved in all my other kinks and and doing whatnot. But there was it was weird. I just sort of felt a, a certain shame um, with this beard and mustache fetish um, for really no other reason except that it was odd. Um, like no one had heard about it before, and I thought I, I can't share this with my peers. They're going to think I'm strange. Do you remember uh, what age you actually started to? act on this then within fetish scenes with others yes um like to well even if you were getting someone else involved but the point where you actually acted on this to have facial hair glued on you or glued on someone else it was a while um i used to um i used to dress up and go out to uh, one of our local leather bars back when i was living in la and i would put on a fake mustache because the bar was really, really dimly lit, and I and I would see if I could actually fool people, uh, which I did at the time. But no one actually knew what I was. No one knew that it was fake back then. Um, I think it came a lot more recently when I was um, exploring being a strongman and and doing that whole persona, and which is all related to this and I was I was describing to uh, to somebody what about my strongman fetish and that involved of course my head being shaved and a gigantic handlebar being forcibly glued on me and and my being stuck like that for the whole um, duration of the weekend or, or what have you and when they got excited by the idea it was like the first time oh oh there's something to this I feel validated I'm not a freak they're I'm sharing this and it's waking up something in somebody else um, I'm legitimate, and and that was that was like maybe fifteen years ago, or or more. Um, there's a, I was a collared boy. Um, how long ago was that? This is terrible. I should remember it. We're gonna say fifteen about fifteen years ago. Uh, I used to be collared to a, a man named Sir Macias. And he had an immense haircut fetish. And he was one of the first people I actually confessed the, uh, the fake facial hair to as well. And so we used to incorporate it um, into our play. And um, the, uh, that, was the, that was the first time um, that, that, we would, that it was actually a regular part of the power exchange that I had with a sir. So what format did that take? Did you have a very deliberate haircut constantly? 
Yeah, he had um, he had a wheel uh, in the playroom, and he used to spin the wheel, and whatever the wheel would land on would be the haircut that I'd be forced to get, including a shape. Oh, how interesting. How many different styles were on there? Oh, I want to say there were about four. There was flat top, there was shaved head, there was recon, there was high and tight. What is recon? Recon, oh God, how do you describe it? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a marine high and tight, but there's more of a fade. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's more blended. Um, but but whatever the whatever the wheel landed on, that that was what I had to get, uh, no questions asked. And um, we eventually started adding uh, facial hair into it as well. <laughs> Out of interest, how difficult is it to take off the hair? It's not difficult at oh, all. Yeah. Um, I use, uh, I use an adhesive called Prozade, which is a, which is an adhesive that's actually used for prosthetics and it's, um, it's, it's, uh, hyperallergenic and, and, uh, safe to use on skin. And there's actually a, there is actually a solvent that, that you use that will, that will remove it. Um, back in the day when I used to talk about using crazy glue to put a mustache on a boy, um, First of all, crazy glue actually burns skin, so I don't I don't actually do that. But one one other thing about that that people don't know about crazy glue is that is that the natural oils and perspiration, excuse me, in your skin will undo the adhesive over time. So you can't actually be permanently glued to something with 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 crazy glue. I mean, eventually the oils in your in your uh, your skin will will undo the adhesive. Well, I only yeah. know that because again, an episode of The Simpsons. Um, there's this episode where Bart and Milhouse go to a joke shop and they yes. buy a bunch of weird crap to stick to their faces. Um, one of the specific ones was, I think it was Bart glued a like bathroom tap to his head and a toucan nose on his nose. And the only way he could, like he couldn't get any of it off because he, yes. he had used super glue. And the moral of the story was something like he had to go t- and sweat it out through mm-hmm. fear, because the doctor came in with this massive needle. <laughs> oh, I love it. The, the Simpsons it was a very formative show for me in all my interests. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I enjoy if, uh, if I beard or mustache a, a boy is I threaten to take them out to the bar with their new persona. And it's a persona that they're going to be forced to show off that, that no one else will know is actually fake. And it's not something that they can just rip off and run away. Well, um, um, on my list here, I have that written down, actually. The Clark Kenting of it. Ah, okay. That's an interesting... This whole this whole thing where you can just put on a pair of glasses, for example, and suddenly people don't recognize you because there's this accessory shielding your identity. Yeah. Well, getting back to that early uh, cartoon that I referenced, the Halloween cartoon... Um, the, this little boy who, who suddenly was turned into a pirate um, and, and he got really, really upset because he was forced to have this pirate look for the rest of his life with this gigantic beard and, and the eye patch and, and whatnot. Um, I remember it arousing me that this little cartoon boy was upset because the look that he was giving off was so different from his personality. And I love the idea of, of, dominating a boy and part of the control is that I as I force him to appear to have a different persona than what he's used to and well I'll, I'll just I'll tell you the story um you know uh, gimp skin fag is 
his collar to me and my husband. And I remember the first time I, I played this out with him. You know, the the gimp is a is a really really hyper intellectual young man. Um, it's it's sort of uncanny how how bright he is uh, compared to a, a stupid old man like myself. <laughs> but he uh, was telling us that he has this um, this this fetish about putting on um, like overalls and dressing kind of like almost like a redneck um, mechanic and, and being taken to Home Depot and being forced to be interacted with like he's not an engineer. Um, and so I took that one step further. I said, well, let's put a, let's put a, a Duck Dynasty beard on you and we'll take you out like that. What and, is a Duck Dynasty beard? Oh, Duck Dynasty. So that's a show that we had. Um, it's actually a really entertaining show. It was a, it was a family of duck hunters. Um, it, was a, it was a reality show and... and uh, it was a family of duck hunters, and they all had very, very immense beards. And, ah, I see. I just uh, Googled yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That is an very, extraordinary very beard. Yeah, you're very, very handsome bearded man. Um, you know, I don't know if it... Uh, I, 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 I never gave the show much uh, depth of thought after that, but, but I definitely was a, a fan of the uh, pursuitness that I would see. Oh yeah. So anyway, so we just—I uh, remember—we took it one step further, where where the gimp came over, and we had to go to Home Depot to, to buy some lumber or, or whatnot. And so we dressed him up in his his overalls and, and this and that, and then I put a beard on him, and we and we went to Home Depot uh, like that, and it was just—it was really really fun. And he loved he loved forcibly being out of his comfort level there in public, and people didn't know. Well, that's an extraordinary. Mm-hmm thing you can do with that specific fetish obviously the more common thing in our circle online is people like being gimps yes and all that but you can hardly go to the supermarket dressed like that no i'm sure we've tried but it probably wouldn't be a very smart idea but no just changing something so simple i mean like i know for example when i buy some new clothes and i go out walking in them i'm more aware of what i'm wearing because of that Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the same yeah. thing with the beard that you're suddenly hyper fixated on this thing, which you know is different, but no one else does. Right. Right. And the idea that dominating a young man um, and forcing him to have a look that he's not used to, that doesn't align with his personality, and then taking him to some sort of an environment where everyone is going to be interacting with him based on the way he looks... It's. I think it's a really, really fun mind trip, and what's really particularly fun also is if, if I'll I'll take a maybe a, a clean cut sub, or you know someone who looks kind of collegiate, and then I'll give them a new look, and they actually like it. I know I've seen plenty of different ways people have fetishized the barbershop experience. One of the tumblers I follow, or it might be a Twitter, I follow someone online anyway, which is extremely fascinated with, um, what's it called? Like bin bag barbers, mm-hmm. the whole idea of taking a garbage bag and using that as the cape instead. Really? Wow. Just as the way to like kind of cheapen the experience, but also to make it be like a very instant experience. Yeah. You yeah. don't need all of this. You can just put it down to that simple thing. I really enjoy that with fetish when people just use what they have around um, a, f- a few months ago, there was this whole meme going around on, it might have been TikTok, 
but people were doing this thing where they got inside of a garbage bag and then put a vacuum in there to vac bag themselves. And this wasn't a fetish thing. Mm-hmm. Like, just loads of people were doing it because they were like, ooh, well, that looks fun. And I'm curious if that awoke anything in anyone. Wow, yeah. This is kind of what I, I have found to be um, so rewarding with um, doing the facial hair fetish and the fake beards um, on Twitter is the majority of people don't understand it. Um, I would say the majority of people still think, hey, that's kind of cool, and you look great with it. You ought to, you ought to grow a real one, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'll also occasionally get a message uh, from somebody who said, I don't understand it, but it woke up something in me. I don't, I don't know what it's about, but I think it's really, really hot. And it somehow gives them permission for something. Maybe not for the same expression of, maybe, maybe they're into like having a fake beard put on them. Or maybe that they've been toying around with something that they're not sure about, something really, really unique because they've never seen anyone else into it. And suddenly watching me play with my kink, it gives them permission to, to safely pursue theirs without trying to understand where it comes from. Well, a specific topic I bring up quite a lot so far with this show has been Jacqueline Hyde. Mm. Because it just seems to be a subgenre of all these things I'm talking about. But specifically with this, it's that whole thing of by creating this new persona, it does give you that permission to behave in different ways or more you're expected to behave differently because you look differently. Yeah, yeah. I uh, one of the one of the people that I, I mentor, um, uh, I actually call him my leather son. He's a he's a young man who lives locally. He's actually uh, he's bisexual, but he plays with women primarily. Uh, his name is Michael, and uh, I've been mentoring him for for quite a while. There's a few pictures of us uh, of us together, and he has an alternate persona that he calls the butcher. And in cre- it, actually, it was it was my pursuit of being strongman that actually. Um, uh, inspired him to to be the butcher. Now, one thing about Michael is Michael is um, just drop dead gorgeous. Uh, he's just a very very visually appealing young man, um, and I see people wanting to play with him and submit to him left and right, and I see a lot of people wanting to offer submission to him. Um, and, and be connected with them based on his looks. So he created the, the butcher, which is this um, kind of a, kind of a take on the, on the Texas chainsaw massacre. Look, uh, he's a, he's a, got a leathery, he wears this, this leathery mask that, that uh, looks like it's made from someone else's face. And um, he puts on an apron that's covered in fake blood. And, and anyway, he, he portrays himself as a very, very barbaric, um, kind of ugly sadist. Mm-hmm. And there's a few girls that, that absolutely love to play with him because he, he's a very, very hardcore player. But what he finds liberating about being the butcher is that it gives him a break of being interacted with due to his sexy looks. You know, it, it, it sounds kind of like, oh, God, what a privilege. But he'll sit there and say, Dad, you know, it, it gets kind of tiresome because I know this person really just wants to interact with me based on, you know, how I look. And being the butcher gives him a break from, uh, from that. No, that's fantastic. That's really f- fabulous that he's found an escape from himself in such a strange way. 
Yeah. Well, and he's found people that want to play with him in that persona. So it's not about getting in his pants or, or, or making out with them, but it's, it's about like, like having a really, really amazing play connection mm-hmm. with him. Cause he's into needle play and pain and, and blood play. And um, I've actually played with him a little bit and, and he's very, very good at what he does, but, but there's a very, very particular niche that he likes to, he likes to incorporate. Yeah. So I get the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. Well, in the world of fetish, we always want ways to escape through other identities. I'm yeah, sure well, think, it's a um, topic I'm going to come back to many times in different ways. Well, yeah, I think that's it, it. This provides us a certain balance. You know, we may be one way in, you know, as we walk amongst the world, we may be, you know, someone who's in a very dominant position at work or has to be in control of a lot of things. Maybe you're caring for a parent or you've got children and, and you're a single um, adult who, who is caring for, for your offspring, or, you know, maybe you're a high power attorney or a, a you know, CEO or whatever. And then in the bedroom or in the playroom, you get to balance that out by being a gimp or being a dog or being tied up and humiliated or, you know, forced to wear a beard or whatever. We don't necessarily have to verbalize or understand intellectually what it does to us. We just have to know ourselves very well that, oh, I become a better person by allowing myself to engage in this space. We'll be right back after these messages. Be your most beautiful self. Beautiful. Introducing Acme Instant Anti-Waxing Strips. Strips. Whilst some instant hair solutions only last a day, as a guaranteed permanent. Permanent. After one gentle application. You'll never quite recognize yourself in the mirror the same again. Buy a pack and change yourself for the better today. Today. I don't, I think one of the things I, I think is that I'm discovering more and more as I actively explore this beard and mustache fetish and do so publicly um, is kind of how we are as a kink community, if you can call us that. It's it's so interesting because we're, when I first came into kink and I, I met some very, very well-spoken, um, very self-actualized men and women, when they they encouraged me, you know, just do it all. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a part of you. It's sexual self-expression. You know, there was so much preaching about just, you know, do you, you know, be who you want to be. And then you show up with a kink or a fetish that there's not a club for. And suddenly there's judgment within our ranks. You know, it, it, if you decide you want to be a pup, well, that's no problem because you can find a club, you know, where you can be a pup, where you can go online and find all kinds of opportunities to be a pup. There, you can go to Mr. S or whatever, and there's pup hoods. There's all kinds of community agreement and acknowledgement for that particular kink or fetish or life that you want to live. But let's say you want to be an animal that does not fit. Like, what if, what if you want to be a camel? Well, now, suddenly, you, you don't have as many things online to validate this, this part of you. And, but you'll see, you'll see all these clubs here. Like, okay, well, these people all want to be pups. Do I need to adjust my kink so I can fit in with this? Or is that counterproductive? You know, how do we, how do we navigate this? How do we encourage someone... To, to explore something that is uniquely them without putting our own judgment on it. So, like, someone was asking me, 
what is it about the fake beards and mustaches versus getting a sub to forcibly grow either. Now, I have a boy right now. Um, I've seen my, on your Twitter that you've been forcing yes. him. Yes, so he's he's in he's in beard growing mode, and I've told him that his beard is going to go down to his chest. I can't tell you how excited this young man. Well, he's not. He's <laughs> he's a uh, middle aged like myself, so he's well well preserved and mature. But he's so excited about about growing this. In this the big walls beard. of the dungeon, he can be any age he wants. Well, we actually we we actually enjoy. Uh, uh, we embrace the ages that we are. I, I should say we don't. We don't want to uh, be ageist to ourselves by any means. But um, so for him, the process is is going to be a lot of fun because it's going to be very very slow and deliberate. But getting back to the other, one of the things I love about the uh, the fake beards and mustaches is is that it's an immediate change. It's it's something that you know one minute you're clean shaven, the next minute you are her suit. And there's not a fucking thing you can do about it because I've got you tied up. So now I'm going to be putting you in leather and we're going to be taking you out and everyone's going to be interacting with you as if you're going to be this leather biker cub. Well, as one of one of the strongest visuals for me on that whole topic of the instant change is actually to do with plastic surgery because when plastic surgery happens in shows, there's never a healing process, really. <laughs> yes. What happens is... They go under the knife and then they get their whole head wrapped in bandages and you have this dramatic unwrapping where they finally get to see themselves. Yes. And that yes. is just such a huge erotic visual for me. Really? Really? Well, well like yeah, because it is that big reveal moment. Um, the same thing can be said for like when you're in a chair and then you're turned around to face your reflection. But right. the, the theatre of unwrapping something... Ooh, I like that. Now, as someone who has actually had a little bit of work done on my uh, on my baggy eyelids, I will tell you that it is anything but um, that that kind of a, a reveal. Um, it's it's kind of just the opposite. Like, all right, how many more weeks do I have to have these bruises? But but I w I will tell you something kind of funny that happened in the uh, happened when I had it done. Um, just as an aside. Uh, they put me under, under under general anesthetic, and they put me on some really, really, really good drugs. If you go and you get plastic surgery, chances are everybody that works for that plastic surgeon, every nurse practitioner, every surgeon, surgical assistant, they've all had work done of some kind as a benefit for working for this particular doctor. So when you come out of surgery and all the anesthesia starts to wear off, but you're still kind of like high and you suddenly look and you and you look at the most beautiful men and women all smiling at you and you realize oh i'm now one of you i get to be <laughs> some of the pretty people yeah i know <laughs> it's a very very profound moment yeah but anyhow i assume that's what happens when they put the beard on in your dungeon suddenly there's just 20 leather men there ready to welcome you uh, well, actually, I have had the experience though, where where they they have said, "Oh my God, I like this." Actually, this is kind of, and then I'll watch their dick get hard, and I'll sit there, like, "Boy, why are you getting hard?" It's like, I, I don't know, sir, but it's there's something. This is doing something to me. And I mean, there was there was there was one young man that we played with a couple of years ago, very very clean cut, and I bearded him for the whole weekend, and we actually went out to restaurants with his beard on, and and. I also put him in a bit of a motorcycle outfit and 
put a do rag on his head. So we 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 changed his fashion as well, so it kind of fit the bill. But he just took to it immediately, and he was having so much fun with what it was doing to his body and his persona, having that big beard on him. Well, that must be so erotic just for you to see someone change how they behave, no matter how subtle it is, but just to see that they walk and talk just ever so slightly differently because of this tiny thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I often find, I mean, when I, I'm at the point now where, where if someone wants to come over and play, I'll say, like, okay, are you willing to let me beard you? Like, I kind of don't care what their judgment is about that fetish now. I just say, like, okay, well, this is going to be a part of what we do. Um, this is how I like to play. If it's not your thing, that's totally fine. But if you want to play with this one, this is this is one of the things that's going to happen. So I kind of feel like a lot of boys come over and they reluctantly agree to it because they want to they play with Master Dart or whatever. But then we get into it, and after we play... Um, they ask if they can take the mustache home. Like, I, I actually had one pup come over, and I put a mustache on him. And he asked, he's like, can I keep it, sir? And I'm like, sure. Uh, yeah, if it's yours, you know. And he's like, I mean, can I keep it on? And I want to I go home with it. <laughs> and, of course, right now we're all wearing face coverings because of the Delta variant. So he had to keep his face covering on while he was at the store. But he got really aroused knowing that there was a gigantic fake handlebar mustache attached to his face. And every once in a while, I'll get I'll get pictures at night, like while my husband and I are watching Netflix or something. I'll get a picture from him saying, "Hi, sir, look what I just did." And he he has the he has the mustache on while he's lying in bed and he's jacking himself off. So I kind of feel like, all right, <laughs> my work is done here. How many mustaches do you own, like right now? Because when when I imagine you bearding someone, I kind of imagine you have this big antique wooden chest with all these drawers of just various different styles. Oh, you make me sound so refined. It's the imagination. There is no budget. It's, uh, it's like, what was that? What was that? Um, uh, the show, there was a movie where, uh, where the young man was, was trained to be an assassin. They bring him into this, they bring him into this secret room and all the weapons are like beautifully crafted and, and displayed in the, like, you know, in these wooden cases. And no, I actually, but I do, I do have quite an arsenal of, of, Fake uh, facial hair. The um, the ones that I buy are actually made out of um, real human hair, and they're the the place that I buy them from is actually in England, and they sell to um, movie studios. So it is. I actually use a very very high quality um, beard or mustache, and they last a long time. So you can actually like trim them, and you can shampoo them, and get a lot of wear and tear out of them. But are they organized? No. <laughs> <laughs> On no. the topic, though, of films with that specific visual, the one that was resonating in my brain was, have you ever seen Toy Story 2? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. this scene where Woody is getting repaired by the, cl the cleaner, mm -hmm. and he's put down in this chair, which is specifically sized for him, whilst this tailor is cleaning his boots and swabbing his eyes and he has this little chest of like other eyeballs oh yeah 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 i remember that and it yeah. just, it really stuck in my head as just this forced dressing fantasy just last week on toys we were talking about muscle growth and the power of he-man as just like the crazy muscle fantasy there oh yeah so oh, yes, God, yeah. what, what toy have you got for me this week? 
That's a really, really good question. Um, there was uh, there was a gentleman that I, uh, a good friend of mine who, um, uh, he, he lives overseas, that uh, we've talked in the past um, about, he's, he's very much a bear, but he loves um, the uh, the force bearding and mustaching. And I shared with him the, the story about the, um, the, the the human toy with the key in his back. And he got so aroused by that idea. He, he said there, just, there was something about having a gigantic key attached to your back that he found kind of humiliating in an eroticized way. You know, and, the, and something that other people had access to that they could turn it and it would make you do certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. There, um, there used to be an ad campaign. I don't know if it, if you guys had it overseas, but we, we have a, a brand of battery here called Duracell. We do have Duracell here as well. Do you have Duracell? All right. So there was a there was a an ad campaign. I want to say this was in God, the early '90s, where it was an entire family, um, and e- each of them ran on a giant Duracell that was put in their back. They were all toys. Um, I think I've seen this exact advert because they all look really freakishly plastic yeah they're all they're all rubberized and and you know they they have these open backs where their duracells would would be put in and um you know they would go visit a friend uh or or uh, someone at the the museum and you know the the guard at the museum had a different battery so he would run out of power and then they would be able to sneak into the museum you know things like that but i remember people um fetishists i know would go as members of the family for Halloween. And they said it was just really, really erotic putting on all the prosthetics that were made out of rubber and the rubber hair and and they would have uh, little wind-up keys put on their backs. I'm certain I'll do an episode all about rubber at some point because when it comes to costumery, it's fascinating to me that there's two kinds of rubber. There's obviously the rubber that we know for gimps and whatnot, but mm-hmm. then there's this whole other world of rubber which is in costumery and masks Mm -hmm. and the two worlds completely separate from each other but both have been so fetishized just really interesting to me it's interesting how you talk about the worlds being so different because that's a that's a result of our our online fetish culture you know, we we took those things and we we took them and 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 segregated them into different schools of kink, as it were. You get what I'm saying? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. When I think about fetish, I always think about gimps and leather men and this like very refined type of mainstream fetish. I guess I would call it because it's the one which has this huge history behind it. Whereas when I think about masking and all that, mm-hmm. it's these very niche kinks separate from the mainstream. Yeah. Because there aren't these huge communities around it. There's not really this huge history of people sexualizing it. Yeah. I'd like to make one, though. I think that's a part of the preservation and, and to help it grow and evolve is to, is to, is to give it some history. So that it remains um, a constant. Um, I remember. So every once in a while, I'll I'll get uh, people reach out to me because they will share the beard and mustache fetish, um, and it's it's very very flattering because you know someone from Latvia will will take a picture 
wearing you know a fake mustache that they that they got at a, at a variety store and they'll say master dart what do you think of this you know <laughs> like, and, I, and i just think to myself god my life is so strange but at the same time it's a big deal for them you know that, that, that's 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 a very validating thing for them to do i actually get uh, a couple of i've had a couple of women actually contact me saying that they enjoy uh, wearing a fake beard or a fake mustache. And I'm like, God, that's really, really sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they say, well, it really isn't, though, because men cross-dressing as women has been around for centuries. Why can't it be the other way around? Why can't us women dress up as men? Why, why is that suddenly? And I thought, oh, that's really kind of interesting. And there's a, there's a classic scene in uh, nine, and a half, nine and a Half Weeks where Kim Basinger is, is put in kind of male drag and brought to a male club with Mickey Rourke. And I, just, I, I, just, I was so fascinated. I wanted to keep talking to these women, saying, like, oh, you know, tell me more about how you, how you play this out. And, yeah. Well, on that topic, I know that the late Princess Diana, for example, was snuck into gay bars in London as a man. Is she, is she really? Uh-huh. Just another interesting thing of women being in male spaces. Well, that, of course, falls into the whole topic of disguising and the power of beards. This whole thing of, like, dressing up in a way so people don't recognize you. One thing, other thing I'm, I'm sort of noticing also, especially when I, when I talk to younger men who seem drawn uh, to, this, to the beard fetish, it's now become... I mean, I don't want to say now, but but more recently, as in the last twenty plus years, um, more a desire for bears and uh, having hairy chests and big beards and just like there's you know there's a there's a growing culture of of uh, gay men that like daddies, you know, and older men, and I find that there's there's some some young gay men that I'll talk to who. Um, they want to have hairy chests themselves, and they want to have hairy faces, and their you know their hormones haven't kicked in yet, or they don't have the genetics for it, or or whatever. I do live in that camp. Do you? Oh, okay. Well, but so you, do you actually like sometimes crave having a big beard? Absolutely. I want okay. the ability to grow one. That's of course the thing which stops me growing it that I don't have the hormones that I can't physically do it. Right. Same well, thing with I... a hairy chest. I've looked into things like Rogaine and such, but mm-hmm. there's risks. There's this whole thing of you, you stop growing hair and it all falls out as soon as you stop taking it. Sure. But sure. I've absolutely explored the world of trying to get access to hair. Well, when I come to Manchester, you'll we'll, we'll, you'll have a beard for the weekend. How does that sound? Thank you, sir. Absolutely. I'm here to provide. I'm here <laughs> to provide. But I, I, I've gotten some young men who, who have wanted to experience the bearding for that reason. They want to they see what they, what they can look forward to. You know, they want to they see what it's like to be a bear. Well, there was actually someone on Twitter. I can't remember what their username was, but they were stunning to me because they had in- crafted their own bear suit. Mm, really? So they'd got a bunch of padding and such so they could round out a belly, make their ass look bigger, just like make everything on them so much thicker, which they would then wear leather over so they could feel that power of being a larger man because they were actually a very skinny, twinky kind of guy Mm -hmm. outside of that. So seeing that shift and the way that they transitioned to that ideal form of themselves was wonderful. 
Isn't that interesting, too, that that they that they have um, they've, they've they've found a way to to eroticize a body type that is not their own, simply because it isn't their own. It's not necessarily a representation of an ideal or anything like that. It's it's a representation of something that they are not. Well, again, it's that thing of like they could put the effort into building up to that size and whatnot, but sure, it's sure. that thrill of being able to take it off and on. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is the, there is the, the thrill of the immediacy. I mean, I know that. I've got some silicone muscle suits lying around, and the thrill of putting that on and suddenly being buff is wonderful. Well, that'll go well with your beard. So that, that, <laughs> this is all, I'm just writing down the arsenal so we have, I have things to work with. But <laughs> Well, I think it also goes, I mean, when um, when somebody is, um, you know, on a, a a weight loss program, or they're they've newly gone to the gym and they're trying to build up their body, or or they've embarked on something that takes time, like even growing a real beard, it it's it's something you have to be patient about. And as we know, as human beings, if you keep looking in the mirror and looking for evidence of progress. You're not going to see it. A wash pot never boils. Of course, people around you are, you know, will, will see the progress. But if you're constantly looking at yourself, you know, for, on something that's going to be taking a, a while, you're going to get frustrated. And so there's something about the immediate change that that can be very, you know, gratifying, and in turn eroticized. So I, I totally get that with the, with the suit. It's the, it's the same thing I have with with the with the fake facial hair. Well, I've spoken about it before to people that I deeply eroticized before and after photos with weight loss muscle gain just this whole thing of seeing how dramatically the human body can change and being able to see it between two pictures obviously as the audience you don't see the time between those two pictures but mm -hmm. knowing that it's the same person and they've gone through that transition is astonishing yeah yeah well and hopefully inspiring for others I mean, on the hair growth thing, I also look at photos of people before and after haircuts. Really? Because it's amazing how different a haircut can make you look. I mean, um, a great example of that, which I have written down, is military cuts. Mm -hmm. The whole thing of being taken to the military, shaved bald, to, so you look like everyone else. Yeah. Then, of course, that goes into flat tops and all the different styles of military haircuts, which are traditional... Well, and I think some people have also fetishized, you know, being being turned into something that looks like everything else in the in the squadron. You know, it's 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 the the droning, the the uh, I don't know what you would call it. Um, think of your words, Dart. Think of your words. But but being turned into a carbon copy of uh, of all of the, uh, the those around you you know a, a loss of individuality and your identity suddenly becoming looking like everyone in the mass absolutely it's actually one of the things i find annoying about twitter with um everyone wanting to be drones but wanting um very specific accessories <laughs> we could we, we could talk about that for hours i think <laughs> you know uh but no, the, the whole military thing is definitely a kink for me. Really? Really? What else, what else is it about it that, you, uh, that, that is erotic? Well, as someone who is quite quirky mm -hmm. and creative, the military for me is something which I identify as very 
rule-based and mm -hmm. strict and traditionally masculine. Mm -hmm. Very regimented. So mm -hmm. all these qualities that I associate with the military are things which I don't associate with myself. So I fetishize it in that way of that is something which I am not. And if I was to be put into that position, I would then become something that I am not. Mm -hmm. So living where I do, um, we live in a very, very high military uh, city uh, with the largest naval base in the world. So a lot of people that come over to play um, are in the military. And it's interesting because the beard and mustaching and also the, 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 the forced persona change actually gives them a break with what they are regimented to, to maintain by serving in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just getting back to that, that, that earlier conversation we had about balance. Um, and it's, it's very, very interesting because, like, they'll, they'll, you know, if we're going to be talking about protocols or they're going to be saying, yes, sir, and, and, you know, obeying commands, they take to it quite easily because of their military training. You know, I think just uh, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, what I love about this stuff um, is just the, the um, I mean, yes, it's a lot of fun to engage in in the moment, and, you know, it, it gets our dicks hard and, and uh, there's a certain amount of sexual fulfillment. But I also like thinking about the long-term benefit of it. I used to be told when, so what I, I used to be an actor and um, I went to uh, a university um, school of theater, film and television for my training. And one of, the, one of the, the disciplines that we had to engage in was children's theater. And I'll never forget the, the professor that we had for children's theater. She was not some... Uh, you know, sweet Polly purebred uh, mother type. She looked like she was a member of the Gestapo. I mean, she never smiled, and she came in, she said, you have no idea how important this stuff is for children. And she was talking about what happens with children when they engage in the domain of play and imagination. You know, they, they, they go beyond the way they know themselves to be. So like if a child is afraid of heights, they won't climb to the top of the tree. But when the tree suddenly becomes a beanstalk and they have to climb to the top of it to go visit the giant, well, now they have found a suspension of disbelief where they can alter their, their paradigms you know, and their limitations. And by engaging in this domain of play, they find self-esteem. She used to always say, like, there's nothing like the, the, the kind of self-esteem you give a child when you give them a box of crayons and give them a chance to, to express their creativity. I see what we do as kinky adults as being the same thing, but having an even greater reward because we are adults now, and so we are more developed. We have um, a greater understanding of our place in life. We have a greater understanding of ourselves. We have um, endorphins now that are more fully developed. You know, we know how to carry ourselves um, when we when we walk in society. So we know how to conduct ourselves behind closed doors. You think about the, the what it would do to our self esteem if we allowed ourselves to to explore these interesting desires in in a safe, sane way. So that that that's my little that's my little soapbox that I like stepping on about why this stuff is important. Oh, well, you just gave me tingles all over. That was lovely. Oh, okay. Well, don't ask me to, don't ask me to repeat it. I pulled it out of my butt. So <laughs> <laughs> it sounded good to me. But I just I, that's why I tell people I said that because you know, when people from younger generations you know ask me, hey, Master Dart, what's what's the best advice you can give? And I said that this is why this stuff is important. You know, it's not about 
going to a puppy mosh pit and having one pup tell you why your hood is wrong because of where you bought it from. It hasn't, you know, that's, that's, that's just petty stuff. No, it's, it's about what the better human being that you become in life as a result of engaging in that puppy space. That's what I love. That's, that's, that's where the gold is. Oh, well, it has been absolutely lovely listening to you. You've been so articulate. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That's the I... best compliment you could give me. <laughs> I think I'm absolutely going to have to have you back for another episode at some point because I would, uh, I that would love strong to. man fetish is something we definitely have got to explore. Oh, uh, I would. I could talk. I could talk all. Yeah, that's a whole another fun thing to engage in. Yeah, I love talking about strong men. Oh, I love talking about strong men. Well, I think we're heading towards the end of this now, so I will ask you the question. Yes. This show is called Fetish Fuel. If I presented you with a glass of fetish fuel, what would it taste like? Mm. A really, really smoky red wine. Ooh. Would it be that color as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What glass would it be served in? Uh, oh, it's going to be out of a glass? As opposed to the bottle. <laughs> I'm just going to drink it right out of the carafe. Uh, it would be out of a really, really wide-mouthed uh, uh, glass chalice. So I, could, so I could get all the aroma before I even put the liquid in my mouth. Ooh, you're a man of taste. Why, well, thank you. <laughs> so where can people find you online? Okay, so um, the biggest place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, it's at Darts Domain, no apostrophe, just uh, just Darts Domain. That's where all the fun stuff is, um, and it's linked to uh, to an Is My Guy account too. So if you find that you like the videos there, the longer versions of the videos are on that site. And uh, I also have an Instagram, which is Dart Strongman. Um, it's uh, it's it's really mostly my uh, my physical fitness pursuits. But uh, I do post other things, mostly mostly Twitter is where they can find me. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It has really been a delight to hear you talk about everything. Well, thank you, Silver. I can't wait to beard you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us on this episode of Fetish Fuel, hosted by Spacebub Silver, guest starring Darts Domain, produced by Matt Clark.